All right. Good. Grab a, grab a seat. There's coffee back there still if anyone needs to wake up. Who's done with school? Are you guys all done with college? Are colleges done? Oh, yes. Do you know how good? Oh, summer session. Wah, wah. Oh, man. I remember just summer college, which was nothing, right? You're done with college. So you're like, oh, I could sleep in. Mom's cooking. Does anyone, does anyone back from school or does everyone go to school around here? Raise your hand if you are back from out of state. You. Good. Thank you. Yes, there you are. Once again, this section. Um, <laughs> Uh, I loved coming home. I was in Oklahoma at Oral Roberts University. Two other alumni right there, so we're a small crew, but strong. And, um, oh, coming home, and let me tell you what my favorite thing was. Pizza. You have no idea how blessed you are. You all take it for advantage, and you're just like, I can have, yeah, thank you for granted. Uh, I can have whatever pizza I want. I can go down the street and I can have it there. Listen, Oklahoma, you had to search. And sometimes people put ketchup on that pizza. That's right. You New Yorkers are all like, they should go straight to the... Yeah. So, well, good. Well, that's good. All right. Well, that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about tonight. But we're going to jump right into it. Can we just pray real quick? I just know, and I don't say that lightly. I just know that this is something God has been walking me through um, and he wants to walk all of us through. And like I said, it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for your whole life, 10 years, five years, one day, or you don't know Jesus. Tonight, I really believe he's waiting to encounter us and meet us exactly where we're at, but he's not gonna keep us there. He's gonna take us somewhere deeper. So Jesus, I thank you, Lord. It's an honor that we can gather together and we can worship you corporately like a community here in this place. But Jesus, we know that you are ever-present, even in the midst of some of us right now who are in deep pain, some of us who are in seasons where everything seems to be going so peacefully and beautifully, others of us who are very confused and stuck in what feels like chaos, anxiety, cycles that people are caught in their life. No matter what you see us, God, you are the God who sees us. Not just humanity in a general way, distant. You see us. So tonight, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our souls. We thank you for this. In Jesus, your name. Amen. Amen. What's on the inside? What's on the inside? That's the, that's the discussion this evening, but I know more than that. I believe it's something God's doing in our life right now. Uh, speak about the inside of our lives, right? The condition of our soul and heart. That's what I'm talking about, right? There's an exterior you right here. I'm looking at you, but then there's also that internal part of who you are. That's, that's your mind. That's also your soul. And so when I say what's on the inside, that's what I'm talking about. That's the question. That's where I'm directing the question. What's on the inside? What's going on inside of here? I love in 1 Samuel, that's in the Old Testament, and it, it, it's, there's a great statement there where Samuel is looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And Saul was the king at that time, and it just says he stood, you know, ahead above everyone else. 
He was strong. He was handsome. He looked like a king. But this next king now Samuel was looking to anoint, he goes to this man named Jesse who has many sons. And he's looking through the sons and he's thinking, oh, that's the one who's going to be the next king. But this is what takes place here. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Listen to this. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And sure enough, we know he gets to the end. He says, Jesse, you have another son. He says, yeah, David, he's the youngest. He's the smallest amongst them. He's out taking care of the sheep, call him in. And David is the one who becomes the next anointed king of Israel and the most famous one and the one that Jesus comes out of that lineage and line from. But I love that statement because it seems to put everything into perspective for us how God sees things. In the great divorce, it's a book C.S. Lewis penned. When you read through it, there's kind of this general theme, and even in one section, it's specifically stated where it says, so often man looks through the wrong end of the telescope. The things that seem so big to us are so small to God. And yet the things that seem so small to us are so big and valuable to him. He looks not at the outward appearance. He looks inward at the heart. We are so deeply concerned about how we appear and present ourselves. Our culture, our society, our lifestyles, everything is about how do I present myself? How am I viewed? How does the outside of me look? The posts that we put up on social media. All of these things presenting ourself. But we know that that is just literally 5% of who you really are. I have to tell you something right now. I have to tell you something. It's an Italian mama. You're going to get old and wrinkly. It's going to happen. Yep. And if you shoot up your face to not look that way, people are going to be like, you're really old and wrinkly, and now we don't know what's happening, okay? It's going to happen. Aging is beautiful. But it's going to happen. You're going to get a little slower. Yep, physically, you're not going to be able to walk as fast as you once did. These things happen. You will change. You ever look at your, like, grandparents' photo albums, and you're like, grandma, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Grandma, the honeymoon picture. This is not my grandma, right? But you change. This on the inside can change as well. But this is the thing that is eternal. This is what's eternal. But we're so concerned about how we present ourselves, how we appear, how we are perceived. We place the outside and the surface level things above the internal. We do that a lot. And I think one of the reasons we do that, as I was just thinking being introspective in my own life, one of the reasons we do that is because it's easier. It is so much easier to to get a haircut, to fix things up on the outside of our life, to appear a certain way, or put on even in some sense a mask just to get through with what we need to 
so we can get and achieve what we need to achieve, so we can go where we feel we need to go. And we do those things, and that's actually easier than really looking into the mirror beyond just the face into the eyes, the window of the soul, and saying what's inside here. And trying to change what's inside here is much more difficult. It's a hard job. It's a job that many of us fail at constantly, constantly getting ourselves stuck in these cycles. And that's what we're going after tonight. What is on the inside? I have a fun little story for you. Just about how we just really value our appearance so much, right? And I'm not against that. I'm not against getting haircuts and looking presentable. Hear me, I'm not going against those things. Do that, wear deodorant, it's good. People will like you, okay? Okay? <laughs> but um, there's something much deeper that the Lord looks at. But just a fun story, while I was at Oral Roberts University, that's where I met my beautiful wife, Anna, um, who wishes she could be here, but she's at home with our little girl and she's eight months pregnant as well and she's just waddling everywhere. Uh, just precious and just falling asleep. I'm like, there she is. My beautiful bride bearing my child. It's awesome. Okay, but before all that happened and we were just kind of hanging out, you know I'm a very tall person, right? Like when you look at me when I walk in a room, you're like, huge guy, right? When I come in, that's what I often feel like. Um, so, uh, so when we started first hanging out, let me tell you something about the Midwest, Giants live in the Midwest. In the Northeast, we all come from, you know, Southern Europe. We're, we're that good travel size. And then there's that once in a while, like that tall kid in your grade, he was 6'1", and you're like, this is the giant, you know? But the reality is you go to the Midwest. I walked on the floor, two guys, both from North Dakota, and then another guy walked out of the hallway from Montana, and they're like three towers. I'm up to their belly buttons, and I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? My freshman year, where am I, the land of the giants? So, so whatever, that's, how, that's just how it was. And even the women there are pretty tall as well. So, so I, I started hanging out with Anna. And um, now I know that I'm just a little bit taller than her. But that's all I needed, right? But in this moment, I, I didn't know if I was. And I was trying to get a date, you know? And I was trying to be presentable. So I wore construction boots every time I knew I was gonna see her. I had these giant construction boots that I was like, is gonna give me an extra two inches, is exactly what I need. And so I was just so concerned about that. So we'd be hanging out, and if there was a little hill, I'm like trying to stand on the, uh, you know, the higher side of the hill. Uh, you stand there, just stand there. Um, so. So this whole thing, it's funny. We obviously start dating and all this stuff. But here's what's great. There was a moment that I had one of my buddies from a distance. I said, dude, listen, I need you to do something for me. He's like, anything, man. I'm like, you need to stand from a distance and tell me if I'm taller than her. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I really like this girl a lot. So even if she was taller than me, it didn't matter. I was not, not going to marry her. I just needed to know. I just needed to know. <laughs> Little did I know that Anna had her roommate, which was her cousin, doing the same thing, <laughs> just saying, am I taller than him or is he taller than me? So obviously it all worked out and it was beautiful. But we were just so concerned about that, right? So that's just a fun, we're always concerned about how we appear or what's happening around us, how we present ourselves, but all the more, there's also this part of our life that we try to present 
because we're trying to hide something else. And so really, like I said, this is a moment to be introspective. See, Proverbs 4, verse 24 says this, and listen. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It is the source of life. Guard your heart because out of your heart, out of your soul, out of your inside is what everything else comes out of. It's where the life overflows. Or in some cases, it's where the death overflows. The inside. So I'm asking us to be introspective. I think that our generation is very good at self-promotion, but we're not that good at self-reflection. We're good at promoting ourselves, but we struggle with reflecting on ourselves. The Holy Spirit, who is our advocate, who is our helper, our comforter, but that word helper, he's with us, he's by our side, but he helps us reflect on where we're at. He reveals that to you and to me. And in that, he allows us to begin to live a life that is fruitful. See, when I'm sitting in my office and I have someone sitting there and they're talking to me or we're out to coffee or we're out breaking bread with each other at a burger joint or a pizza place and we're hanging out and they're starting to talk to me about I'm, I'm fighting with this and then I, I'm anxious and I, I'm struggling with these things all the time and, they're, and I ask them, this, I say, hey, hey, real quick, what's the fruit of your life right now? What's the fruit of your life? Well, I just, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just, I can't get over this anxiety. And that's where I say, listen, you're not going to know how to deal with that until you stop and you ask God with his help to look inside at what really the root is. See, those things that come out of our life, those are the fruits. Other students who sit here and just say, I can't seem to do anything right or get everything. Everything seems to be just chaotic and crashing in and I'm so confused. And I say, hold on a second. What's the fruit of your life? What's the fruit of your life? Because if you begin to tell me what the fruit of your life is, which is, well, I'm stressed. Well, I keep failing in everything I'm doing. Well, I, I, I just get stuck in these dangerous cycles. That's where I say, okay, that's bad fruit. And fruit comes from the inside. Oh, come on, we know the people we see. I say they got it all together. Or they look like life is really perfect. And yet sometimes when you sit down with those individuals and you begin to speak with them, it's almost as if they're like a, a shell of themselves. You can't get past a certain point or they won't reveal that because inside they're just corroding. They're dying. They're hurting. They're in pain. We've got to self-reflect and God helps us in that. 1 Timothy 4 do not waste time arguing over godless ideas, myths, and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Physical training, the outside, what we do with our life, a healthy lifestyle is good. That's positive. That's great. But there's something even more important. 
that we so often want to push aside because we have things to do, places to go, things to achieve. But what you don't realize, if you don't deal with what's happening inside of you, and 10 years down the road when you're married, then you have this relationship between your husband and wife. And guess what? All of a sudden, you begin thinking about divorce. All of a sudden, you begin to see that there's these things inside of you coming out because you didn't deal with what was on the inside. And so now you're stuck in this place of an unhealthy lifestyle with a lot more pain in your future because I just had to get somewhere quick. This is a good little story. I'm going to read it to you. A young man came to W.E. Gladstone when he was the prime minister of England, and he said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate your giving me a few minutes in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. I would like to study law. Yes, said the great statesman. And what then? Well, then, sir, I would like to gain entrance to the bar of England. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I I hope to have a place in Parliament, in the House of Lords. Yes, young man, what then? Pressed Gladstone. Uh, then, Then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man, and what then? Well, then, sir, I I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man, and what then? He tenaciously asked. Uh, Well, then, Mr. Gladstone, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man, and what then? And the young man hesitated and then said, I never thought any further than that, sir. So looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. It reminds me of when Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? We work so hard with everything in us to achieve something that at the end of it all, we can't bring with us past the grave. That at the end of it all, our soul could be lost. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. And we're young. We've got our lives ahead of us. And sometimes people say, don't start thinking deep about what's happening inside of here until you get older. Right now, just work hard and focus on what you're doing. And yeah, work hard, focus on what you're doing. But that doesn't mean you don't have to think about what's on the inside, what's truly happening there. But here's the thing. When we do begin to look inside, when we do begin to be introspective and reflect, and we see the fruit of our life and we wonder, why is that fruit, bad fruit even, coming from my life? Why is that pain coming out of my life? When we do those things, we sometimes look and we see that it is something too deep that we cannot reach. Something too deep that you and I are not able to reach into our soul in that way. And many have tried on their own. Failed attempts. Trying to get there through philosophy, through science, through good works. Listen, those things are not bad, but that's how they were trying to get into the soul, into the inside, to heal it. You can read the ancient philosophers and you can see even their discussions upon the soul of man and what's happening inside of there. You can read ancient manuscripts. You can even read modern day philosophers and scholars and everyone's trying to solve this problem or at least they've come up with solutions that they feel have solved them. 
Many times those solutions just leave you in a miserable place. In failing to be able to reach through those means, we've created these systems, these ideologies, these philosophies, these worldviews. If it feels good, just do it. If it feels good, just do it because then life really just has to be about happiness and pleasure. Because if there's so much junk and pain inside here, then if I can get a little bit of pleasure, then I'm just going to do it because I'll die sad and alone anyway. But at least I could have lived a little bit. YOLO, you only live once. Hey, you only live once. There's nothing after that. Don't think beyond the grave. Don't think for an eternal perspective. You only live once, so just do whatever you want, whatever pleases you. I, love the, I would love to talk to the people who say that to others. When those individuals come broken and hurting, suicidal, depressed, hurting themselves into my office, and I say, who told you that that was the answer? There's only one answer. No, life is just all about the physical. Really, when it is broken down, it's just the physical. There's not really even this soul and all these things. We're just this, this body that's like a machine and it just fires off things and, and, and it's just, there's no soul. It's just about pleasure. Oh, how we worship pleasure in our culture now. I'm about truth. I'm about reality. I told someone this week when they were sitting down and speaking with me, I said, listen, I said, I'm in pain. I said, listen, man, I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that you're not gonna have pain throughout the rest of your life. You're gonna have pain throughout the rest of your life. There's gonna be moments where you're in pain. Someone you love passes away and dies. That's pain. But I said, I can tell you that there's someone who can walk through that pain with you. And I can tell you that that place of pain can also become a place for God to hold you and install something within you that one day you can use to help someone else through their pain. And what the enemy means for evil, God restores for good. I can tell you about that. You know, John 15, Jesus is speaking. He says this, I'm the true vine. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remaining and abiding, our connection with God, our connection through Jesus Christ, that's what allows our life to bear good fruit. So often, we just simply stare at our life and say, produce patience, produce love, produce forgiveness. <sighs> Trying to create it. <sighs> it's like. <laughs> when really what we're supposed to do is turn and say, Stay connected with God. Abide in God. Abide in Him. 
Pastor Matt, our worship pastor, we always talk about this. We say then all of a sudden that fruit begins to come out of your life. But you gotta look and change your perspective. I mean, people land at places of belief like universalism because they think, come on, there's so much pain, there's so much uncertainty inside here. It's gotta just be that all roads lead to one. And they don't. There's only one way. And that way is through Jesus Christ and what he's done. You know, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he was walking around the people of Israel, the Hebrews, the leaders, disciples and followers, crowds of people coming to him. And he was teaching to them and he was speaking to them. But he addresses the audience of his day about what's on the inside. Matthew 23. He's talking now to the, the leaders of religion. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Jesus is just calling it out. You, you, you work so hard, he's saying, making sure the outside of the cup is clean and beautiful, but yet the inside is corroded, moldy, disease in it. You're like these tombs that on the outside are whitewashed, covered in like a limestone to look beautiful and pretty and pure, and yet behind it there's just death, something unclean. This is not just to the Pharisees. This is to us. Everything in the Bible literally happened there in that time and in that way. But God knew what was coming in the future. He knew that that would be canonized and brought together. He knew that we would be sitting here studying the words that he spoke and through the Holy Spirit for thousands of years it's remained and it's remained true. But that's for us. When I read that this week, it's burned inside of me. Oh God, when people drink of my life, I don't want them to taste bitter water. And some of you tonight, you just feel so unclean. I don't know, maybe this year you made some big mistakes. Maybe you really just made some poor choices. Maybe you've lived for years making poor choices. You actually feel dirty. You feel unclean when you even walk in here or when you go to a place that's a church or any type of gathering like this or even times when we were doing worship, you felt unclean. You felt you didn't belong. Well, let me tell you something. One of the first miracles that Jesus does is he turns water into wine. But let me tell you about what that water was. That was like the water that they would use to wash their hands and feet. Dirty water, leftover water, 
But by the end, that would have been water that many people would have put their hands into. Because it was at the end of the feast, near the end, where Jesus does the miracle. And there's this dirty, unclean, filthy water. And Jesus turns that water into wine. And they come to him and they say, why does this taste even better than the wine before? Because Jesus' hands were involved in that. You might feel unclean. I want to tell you, if you listen tonight, God is speaking and he's speaking to you. He wants to turn those unclean waters of your life into a beautiful aroma and pure wine. Something that people would see and taste of your life and see the goodness of Jesus. Clean the inside and the outside will follow. You know, sometimes we think if I, if, wait, 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 so you're saying this, if I work hard enough, Pastor Stephen, if I work hard enough, if I do everything I can do, I can achieve this. You can't. You can work as hard as you can. You can work as hard as you can to the grave and you still won't achieve this, this cleansing. There's only one way. In other parts of our Christian faith and journey, yes, work is vital and important. But I, I'll, tell, I'll say it this way. Work is the evidence of what has already been done in us. I can't work myself to make something happen eternally within me. But my lifestyle afterwards, when you look, the outside of my cup will resemble what's on the inside. And I pray that at the end of my life, when it's poured out, It'll resemble who Christ is and who he's been in me. The band can come back up at this time. I want to end with this story. It's Matthew 22. It's right before Jesus just spoke to the Pharisees and the leaders. And when he called them out, he's calling out for authenticity. Now, Jesus often would uh, speak in parables. And what a parable was is it was a story he would share that had very deep meaning within it, sometimes hidden within it, and he would explain it, sometimes obviously within it. A story that he would share. A lot of allegory, sometimes very matter of fact. But in it, he was revealing, in one sense, the secrets of the kingdom, the heart of God, in a way that we could understand. Who doesn't love a story? As human beings, we're storytellers. We're storytellers. Listen, when I say I want to tell you a story, someone in the back's like, what? <laughs> Don't matter how old you are. Everybody loves a story. And so Jesus shares just some of the most beautiful stories. But this is one that he shares and it connects with us. It's a wedding banquet. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a feast for his son. His son was getting married, and so he prepared a feast. And he had invited everyone in the city to come. And so what the king decided was, he said to his servants, hey, go out and tell all those that I've invited to come, to come to the feast. And so the servants go out, and they go to those who originally had had the invitation, and they say to them, the feast is about to begin. The king wants you there. The people ignore him. 
So they go back to the king, and the king says, what? Now, you have to understand, at that time, if a king invited you to something, it wasn't necessarily optional. You had to go. So it was not just like being a little unfriendly or awkward. It was being disrespectful to the king and to his son. So the king says, wait, wait, wait. Go back out there and tell them, I have the food prepared. I spent money on the food. I killed the cattle that I needed so that they could eat, so that this would be a giant feast. Tell them that. So the servants go out. They go to those people and they say, the food is prepared. It's ready to be eaten. Come. And it says that some of them ignored them and went on with their business. Some of them ignored them and went back out to work the fields. But yet others heard them, took them, and beat the servants and killed them. So word get back to the king and he's furious. And so he goes and he deals with those murderous people. When he comes back, he says to his servants, hey, those people were ungrateful, but I want you to go out to the street corners. I want you to go out to the gutter. I want you to go out to the corners and the places where people don't like to hang out, where there's some filthy people. I want you to bump into some other random people on the street and you tell them, come to this feast, come to this wedding gathering to celebrate my son. And so the servants go out and it says all good and even bad people were there at the feast. Good and bad. In other words, all class. Didn't matter if you were rich and wealthy or you were poor and you were a prostitute. They found themselves all there celebrating this feast. And when the king's walking around, he suddenly sees one man there who's not dressed properly. He's not in wedding clothing. And he goes up to him and he says, where are your wedding cloth? The man is speechless. The king says, where are the clothes for this wedding? And the man says nothing. And the king has him kicked out. And then Jesus says this. He steps out of the parable and he says, many get invited and hear the call, but only few answer it. Now let me unpack this for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is offensive and unfair. There is an original invitation given out to all those people who rightfully deserve to go there and share in the feast as this king symbolizes God and as his son is his son Jesus. This feast of God's goodness, his grace, his love, his salvation. But, but people ignore it and push it aside. And so the gospel is for all people, all humanity. That when you sit at that table, like when you walk in that party, you saw the good and the bad. You saw those who seemed to be pretty good people, but yet you also saw those who lived hard lives, those people who felt unclean, those addicts, those homeless people, prostitutes, the poor, the rich, the successful, all of them were there together because that's what the gospel is. But let me narrow in on that one man, that one man who is not in the right clothing. He tried to do things in his own power. 
He tried to do things with what he could do in his own works. But it wasn't good enough. See, those people who were called off the streets, they were in there. And the little mystery there is suddenly even the poor ones are in these beautiful wedding clothes. They're in the righteousness of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is even foreshadowing what he's about to do. That what he's about to do on that cross when he died for you and me was about to bring us together. And as Paul says, that we would become clothed in him. We would be the righteousness of God. But see, this man there, he just tried to do it all in his own power. And he's there and he's not good enough. In his own works, in his own ability. And he's cast out. You can try all you can in your own power and your own strength to make what's on the inside right. But the truth of the matter is, at the end of it, it says that our, right, our good works are like filthy rags still. That's why the gospel's unfair. Because the man who's a murderer, who's done so much evil, if he has true repentance on his deathbed, will share in the same inheritance that I do. And not only do I have to be okay with that, but Jesus says, rejoice in that. Rejoice that my table is a table of undeserved grace. Rejoice that at my table, there's so many different people with different stories who have come and have been healed and are now called the righteousness of Christ. See, it's the cup. It's the cup that Jesus revealed with close friends around a table, the Last Supper, before he was about to make that march to Calvary, when he took that cup and he took that bread and communion is instituted. He says, this is my blood that will be shed for you, that we would have forgiveness, that we would now be clothed in that wedding garment, clothed in righteousness. but it's something that's taken on the inside. All the way up to that time, it was always an outside thing. It was works, but yet the inside was still dirty and messed up, unclean. But Jesus said, when you take of this, it's now on the inside of me. And when my inside is changed, then the fruit will begin to flow on the outside. Can we stand up tonight? After we sing this one time through, we're gonna have an opportunity to take communion right here up on the left and right here on the right. You can come and you can grab a piece of bread and you'll dip it into the juice and then hold it when you go back to your seat until we'll take it together. But it's the goodness of God's table and his grace. What's on the inside? The grace of Jesus Christ is on the inside of my heart. It's on the inside of my life. Some of you tonight you have to be reminded of this. You have to be broken. You've gotten back into that whole works thing. You got into that party and you're there and you're walking around. You've been trying to do it all in your own power. You gotta abide and be connected with him in order that the inside of who you are will be holy, beautiful, and pure. It's nothing you can do in your own strength. Jesus said, I'm the cornerstone. I bridge humanity 
and God back together again. Those who try to do it in their own power, who try to hold this big heavy stone up will be crushed because they can't. But those who fall upon it in surrender will be broken. And that brokenness is symbolizing the unity between you and God. The brokenness to where you can say like Paul did, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. You understand you can't hold this up on your own. No philosophy, no worldview can do that. No amount of even good works can do that. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and for me that we can then take that on the inside and forever be changed. Let's sing. Talking earlier tonight about being here how Jesus when he was around that table with his disciples and they had no idea his close friends what was about to happen he's just like be here with me don't miss this don't miss this moment communion is a beautiful and sacred practice that we have but there is power in that practice It's a constant reminder to you and I on this journey with Jesus. Constantly reminding me to be broken before him. That out of his brokenness, I have been made whole. And so as I break upon him and who Jesus is and his presence in my life, that I can live a whole life, a full life. It's a constant reminder that I am desperate for his presence in my life. That I have to constantly abide with him. That is what will keep me to be a pure vessel. That is what will allow me to bear good fruit. And lastly, that his grace it's not just upon me, but it's within me. When I partake of that bread and I drink of that juice, it's symbolic that God's grace is not just outside of me, it's inside of me. No matter how old I get, and even when the grave comes, that I take that beyond the grave. His grace, undeserved. We're going to continue to worship. And during this time, if you would make your way to grab the bread and the juice and keep worshiping, and then in just a moment, we'll take it together. This is not just simply something that is uh, just little ritual. This is something very real and uh, to encourage you, but to challenge you. By partaking of communion doesn't get you out of hell now. Do you hear me? If you know Jesus, 
you're partaking of this because you're remembering what he's done for you. For some of you, if you don't know Jesus and you're about to partake this, then I encourage you right now to feel the Holy Spirit even going after you and after your heart. You can say, this is my moment, Jesus, where I really do want to take your forgiveness and grace on the inside of my life. We were just singing that song before. It's referencing to the story of the woman who came in and, and poured everything she had. All the perfume she had, tons of money she had saved up for. She took that perfume, she poured all of it out on the feet of Jesus. And then with her hair, she washed his feet. She was a woman who normally wouldn't be at this setting with such men of holiness. People wanted to kick her out. Jesus said, no. No, let her stay. As she cleaned his feet, she wept. He said, your sins are forgiven. She came just as she was, but she left very different. So if you don't know Jesus tonight, you came just as you were. But if you really want the change and the life and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus in your life to leave differently, then when you partake of this tonight, from your inside, from your soul, say yes to him and be broken before him. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Jesus, we take and we remember the work you have done that allows us to be clean on the inside, that we might walk around with those clothes of white because of your grace in your name. Amen. You may partake. Listen, as we continue to worship, our leaders are going to be over there inside. The They're there to pray with you. They're there to pray with you. Some of you are walking through some hard things. Some of you were really convicted tonight. Some of you are making that change. You want to be broken. You're walking through difficulty, whatever it is. God said, let my house be a house of prayer. Real prayer. Intimacy with him. And our leaders are here to walk with you through that. Let's just continue to worship. Let the Lord keep doing what he's doing inside. You're just in the grip of the hands of God. His love won't let you go. Romans 8, 38 through 39, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus. Death, life, angel, demon, principality, Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth can separate me from his love. Nothing. And you embrace that. His grip and what's on the inside. 
We're going to sing that just one last time as we kind of end this night. And this is what I feel. Uh, if anyone, you're saying, no, this is me. I'm walking in this. I'm in the midst of this. God's doing something on the inside of me. But I, I'm just processing through it, and I feel that there's things coming out of my life that he wants to deal with. If that is you, my, my, my brother and friend, John Abinagorta, is right there. What I just felt, even John, after you shared that, is if you're someone who says, that's me, and you really want to walk in that freedom, John just said, this is exactly what God has walked me through in this last couple weeks. And it's just been, and I feel if you really want that, then you pursue conversation with him right after this. And I believe that you will get not just wisdom, but even as he prays over you, I believe that you really get the strength to live in testimony like he is. But you got to take the effort. And so I felt in my heart. You got to take the effort to talk with him. So we're going to sing this one more time. And just let that be a place that your heart lands in. Your love doesn't let me go. Your love doesn't let me go. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are our God Almighty. And yet you desire to be with us and dwell within us.